0: Now, before we begin today, I'm going to ask that at the end of this episode that you hang on for a special announcement that comes after the outro. Thank you. This might be because of my age, but I found myself just recently thinking of all the different things that in the last 30 years or 40 years have changed. Things that maybe used to be there that aren't there anymore. I mean, just think about this for a second. How many of your homes still have a phone book? We used to get those in the mail all of the time or have people deliver them to your homes and yet I can't remember the last time that I had one or even thought, man, I'm going to look into the yellow pages for something. Follow that up with maybe corded phones. We all had those in our house at one time where you had that phone in the hallway that had a a six or a seven foot cord that could stretch pretty much anywhere in your house. How about long distance and long distance cards? I mean, I bet most of the kids today don't even know what long distance or call forwarding or waiting or even calling as far as to say that I'm going to make a collect call or any of those type of things. And it's not just those. I mean, think about this. I remember going into the airport as a child and there was a string of probably 20 phone booths attached to each other. There seemed to be one on every corner and yet now you don't see them anywhere. It's not all that long ago even that you would go uptown, you would take pictures, and you would take all of your pictures, that film, to a one-hour photo center and buy a new film for your camera. Where have those gone? Remember movie rentals? There was nothing more exciting than than as a child growing up for your parent to say that they were going to stop at Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, going in there and just walking the aisles of videos looking for something to rent because you knew that you were going to get to pick what movie you watched. And that's just gone now. In fact... So much exists today through the uh, internet at our house, through the Wi-Fi at our house, or through our phones, that really we have done away with most everything. There isn't anybody, I imagine, that still has an answering machine in their home, because all of our answering machines are attached to our phone, right? Well, there is a something else that has disappeared, that growing up, and, and not as my early childhood, but in my young teen years, I would love, because Typically, my mom and I would stay up later, and we would watch this, and that was Nick at Night, and what that was is if you had the Nickelodeon channel, during the day, it played kid movies or kid cartoons or those type of things, but at night, it was called Nick at Night, and it played all of the old movies from the 50s and 60s, 70s, all of those old movies. Um, either sitcoms or drama series that uh, they just didn't play on TV at any other time. And so you could get home, log on to that, like 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, and, and then you could begin to watch all of these old series. Well, that's not the first Nick at Night. Today, I want to spend a few moments talking to you about the original Nick at Night. Hello, I'm Pastor Dave Carver, Lead Pastor at Water's Edge Fellowship in Burley, Idaho, and I want to thank you for joining me for this midweek moment. Now, if you're able to, grab yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's get started. Now, if we go back and we explore our Bibles, and we turn to John chapter 3, we come across the verse that is probably the most popular verse of all time, or of current time anyway, in all of the Bible, and that is John 3.16. And most everybody knows this verse. If you watch sports activity, you'll see somebody holding up a poster that says John 3.16. You have all of these things. And yet, most of us don't know the story around John 3.16, and that is, it actually begins in verse 1 and ends in 21. And it's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I want to read it because I think it's important for us to explore. But it's centered around a man named Nicodemus, a man who was a Pharisee who was really quite a notorious, for, for good reasons, Pharisee. He was seen as, as a man who was very wise and held in high regard, and he visited Jesus at night. And so he has earned the nickname of Nick at Night, at least for me, being the original Nick at Night. And so let's just read through this passage real quick. It's it's 21 verses, and so if you want to turn to John 3 and follow along, you're welcome to. But this is what it says. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I love this part real quick because... Nicodemus comes and he wants to butter up Jesus and he kind of wants to, you know, use this opportunity to build some rapport and and Jesus just slams that box closed and opens up his own box. We're we're talking about what I want to talk about. You can do all of these things, but he just jumps right in. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him in verse four. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And I just love this because we see some kind of random things in here. I mean, we authentically see Nicodemus, who was struggling with this. The statement that we just embrace as post-crucifixion believers, we just embrace this understanding of being born again. But for Nicodemus, he is only dreaming of the uh, physical realm, and it is just beyond his comprehension. And so Jesus kind of calls him out on this. You're the spiritual leader of Israel. You're the one, you're the guy, you're the man, and you don't get this? But then he uses what uh, would be called a callback. And so he tried using something that Nicodemus wasn't familiar with at all, but then he does a callback to the Old Testament, something that Nicodemus would absolutely understand. He references Moses lifting up a serpent in the wilderness. And there are so many word pictures with this that we need to understand it. It's coming from Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, where again, the Israelites, again, were, or the Hebrew people were complaining because the food wasn't good, and we're tired of walking around, and and murmuring against God, and, and murmuring against Moses, and, and they're just discontent, all right? They they are grumpy, they are complaining, and in their complaining and being grumpy, they sin. And so God, what he does is he allows these serpents to move in. Don't let it get lost on you that, if you think about it, the entry of, of sin into man is by way of the serpent in the garden, and the tempting of Eve and her decision, it's not the serpent's decision, but it was her decision. If you look back at the text, it says when she saw that it was good to see, good to the eyes, and it looked essentially delicious and that she desired to know good and evil, she made the choice to eat, which if you go all the way to James, talks about the progression of sin, and yet it's the serpent who is there. And then now we see where God in numbers brings these serpents back in and they begin to bite the Israelites. And so a number of them die. And so all of a sudden, and it's just like us, when our life goes upside down, we recognize that we've sinned, and so we run to God, and and we uh, confess, and we ask for forgiveness and restoration and all those things. We've all had that moment in our life, right, where where we're walking in our sin, and we're happy to be walking in our sin until the consequences of our sin begin to unfold, and then all of a sudden, we are super interested in repenting, Right. Well, that's what happens. All of a sudden, these Israelites start dying because of all these serpents. And so they run to Moses and they're like, hey, we blew it. You need to go to God. You need to go to God and tell him we're sorry. You need to go to God that we have sinned and we've done this and this and ask him to uh, forgive us. And so Moses does. And God gives interesting instruction. What he tells them is, Moses, I want you to build a bronze serpent and I want you to put it up on a flagpole And then I want you to lift it high. And anybody who gets bit, anybody who gets struck by the serpents, if they would just look to that serpent that's being lifted up on the flagpole, they'll live. Now, you need to understand and just think about this for a second because it's easy for us to read this post-crucifixion. But this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. This isn't post-crucifixion. This is really early on in Jesus' ministry, and so even his disciples right now have not um, heard that there is coming a day when Jesus will be crucified, and that he too will be lifted up. And so, instead of looking at this in the split narrative of both a callback and a foreshadowing the way that we would see it, the way that Nicodemus would recognize it in just a few short years, he simply sees it as the callback. But let's... Look at this in this context for just a moment. Because it's, it's interesting, Jesus or God did not just remove the serpents. God had the ability, he brought the serpents into the valley. He had the ability to, to remove the serpents from the valley. They would go back to their homes, go back to their dens, go on to the next valley or whatever. He could have done that. I mean, God being God could have just caused them to disappear in a poof of smoke, dust, whatever. And yet he didn't do that. What he did is he created a way of salvation for them, understanding that they would continue to live in the environment of the serpent. They brought that on themselves. It's their disobedience that brought the serpents to the valley. And it's God's love for them that brought redemption even in the valley. And for us today, this is important. Because I think so many times... We believe either that we're going to be saved and that all of the atmosphere of sin is going to be removed. We are then going to walk in a place where we are no longer burdened by either the temptation or the existence of sin. We are going to have this perfect life. It's going to be wonderful. No weeds grow in our yard. The garden always always uh, produces bountifully we always get raises and never get fired we never have a bill that shows up at the last minute we don't have cars that break down or kids that misbehave our spouse loves us and adores us we have just this perfect life and yet that's not at all reality the reality is we still live in the valley of the serpents we still live in an environment of sin We still live in a realm where dysfunction takes place, where we are at odds and in a spiritual war. And so we have all of this going on, and God did not remove any of that yet. And so just, if you think about this, when they looked at the serpent, it didn't remove the bite. They still had the effects of that bite. They still had the original wound, the pain, all of that that would take place. They simply didn't die. And it's the same for us. Even now, as we walk in this valley with serpents, with temptations, with all of these things, when we fall, we still have the wound. We still have the effects or the consequences of sin. We just don't have death because we've looked to the cross for our salvation. See, that's where the foreshadowing comes in. I wonder if Nicodemus, as he sees Jesus lifted up on the cross, as he walks through what we will be walking through in just a few weeks, as he walks through those three days where Jesus is gone, but then rises again. If all of the sudden he recalls this conversation, and Jesus' choice of using Moses and the serpent in the wilderness from, from Israel's history, Numbers 21, And all of a sudden, he sees that just as Moses lifted that serpent that brought salvation for those who looked upon it, God lifted his son, the cross, and for us, for those who are still in the valley of death, that when we look to the cross, we are saved. We no longer have to face death as those that fail to do. But believer, hear me, he didn't remove them from the environment, and he's not removing you. You still walk in this environment of sin, and unfortunately, just as I'm sure they did, they still get bit. You still fall, and you still suffer those effects. The pain of sin is still real. The consequences of sin is still real. God doesn't always remove those. He can, and at times he does, but that's not his promise. His promise is, Those who look to the Savior, those who look to the cross for their salvation, will not die. And this is such an important reality. As it moves in, he's even building on the foreshadowing as he moves into that passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There is this truth that we all know so much, but that we oftentimes forget to uh, look at in the context of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. He moves on and he talks about you know, light and darkness. He talks about being condemned and not condemned, and it all centers on where our eyes are focused and where we're looking for salvation. I just imagine that that so many people, rather than putting their faith in what God said, just tried for themselves to kill all the snakes around them. Just tried for themselves to avoid all the pitfalls and all of those things. And I can guarantee you it didn't work. You know how I know that? Because I walk amongst a generation that tries on their own to either avoid sin, justify sin, find strength and victory over sin, and it just doesn't work. Our only hope, our only salvation is wrapped up in this story between Nicodemus and Jesus. We must fix our eyes on the cross. We must see our Savior as the one being lifted up. And when we fix our focus on him, when we accept him as our Savior, we no longer face the sting of death, either from the serpents in our land or from the serpent that was in the garden because it no longer holds victory over us because of the of the cross that was lifted up and the savior that was on it we have victory over sin now my hope for you and my hope for myself my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we don't just be satisfied with simple verses but that we would be inspired by the story of the bible because the truth is What's wrapped up in this short encounter between Nick and Jesus is the story of man. A man who tried to go on his own and fell. A man who decided that he didn't need God and fell. And now in the the throes of sin is facing the cold, hard reality of death. And yet the only hope for victory over death is what God provided. For them in Numbers, it was a serpent on a flagpole. For us today, it's a Savior on a cross. When we embrace the entirety of that story, it is no longer just something that we hold up at a football game. It is no longer something that we memorize to get a piece of candy in vacation Bible school. It becomes the story of history, the story of God's love, but more importantly, the story of our life. God bless. Thank you again for listening today. If you are in our area and are interested in joining us for one of our services, you can find us on the web at www.watersedgeidaho.org or by searching for our page on Facebook. Have a great day, and I hope you will join us again soon. Now, I promised you an extra announcement, and here it is. About a year ago, we suspended our podcast, producing podcasts, and and even put our account on hold. And in the process of that, when our account went on hold, our back history of all the podcasts that we had produced and published up to that point were lost. And so beginning in March, we're going to begin reintroducing some of our podcasts from our past. And so we'll continue to produce a new podcast every Wednesday or Thursday. But on Mondays, we will put out a podcast of our greatest hits from one that we released prior to that you can no longer find online. And in doing so, we're providing those of you who are new to the podcast an opportunity to go back and listen to some of the old ones. But for those of you who have walked with us through the journey and have been a longtime listener, it allows those to be uh, re-shared so that you can go back and listen to some of your favorites. And so now be looking for two posts showing up on your streaming service, whether it be Spotify or Apple or whatever, coming both on Monday and Wednesday or Thursday. Thank you.